Welcome to episode number 50 of a Pain in the Glass podcast. It's Jacob Sherhart coming to you from my grandpa T's home in Grand Bend, Ontario, on the ancestral land of the Kettle and Stony Point First Nation. A Pain in the Glass podcast is sponsored by Canada Curling Stone of Kamoka, Ontario. The first episode of a Pain in the Glass podcast was published on February 9th of this year. My brother Lucas and I introduced that episode for our Grandpa T, and we returned for episode number 25, and here we are again for number 50. Grandpa T has used the podcast to shine a light on various topics of interest to coaches, instructors, athletes, and curling fans. He has asked many friends who have unique knowledge and experience for various topics to join on the podcast. Jacob and I would like to recognize those friends and thank them one more time. Dr. Glenn Polly, Episode 3, The Science of Brushing. Lindsay Sparks, Episode Number 4. Characteristics of Championship Teams. Dorothy Wright, episode number seven, Using a Delivery Stick. Tom Coulterman, episode number eight, Coaching a Team from Good to Gold. Jim Wade, episode number ten, A Visit with My Mentor. Pat B. Reed, episode number eleven, Dealing with Two Imposters. Emily Riley, episode number 12. Emily has something she wants to tell you. Michelle Saint-Georges, episode number 13. Coach Mish's top 10 list. Dr. John Dunn, episode number 15. Pressure is a privilege. Elaine Dag. Jackson, number episode number 16, It's More Than Just the Olympics with EDJ. Renee Sonnenberg, episode number 19, It Really Is All About Those Numbers. Helen Radford, episode number 21, Back to the Future. Dean Kleider, episode number 22, on Ice Coaching. Lisa Weagle and Scott Pfeiffer, episode number 30, calling all front-enders and mixed doubles teams. Patty Wallingham, Susan Shearhart, Elaine Degg-Jackson, Emily Riley, episode number 31, Mental Health for Athletes. Sean Turriff, Episode number 32, Coach Care. Dr. Adam Kingsbury. Episode number 33, The Doctor is In. Fiona Grace Simpson. Episode number 34, Fiona from Afar. Dan Raphael. Episode number 35, Half Passport Will Coach. Paul Webster. Episode number 37, From the National Training Center. Chris Daw, episode number 38. Never let your passion outweigh your patience. 
Anita and Paul Tardy, episode number forty, Life with Juniors, part two. Jamie Watson and Wayne Talent, episode number forty-three. Some capital ideas. Jane Blackie, episode number forty-four. He sleeps. He scores. John Wall, episode number forty-seven. What's the ice telling us? Fred Veal and Kim Tuck, episode number 48, Curling Stones 101. The episodes not mentioned are the ones that Grandpa T did solo, usually basing the topic on one of the articles in his coaching manual, A Pain in the Glass, A Coach's Companion, or from articles on his blog site, truenorthbill.blogspot.com. If you would like to purchase a copy of A Pain in the Glass, A Coach's Companion, go to the Balance Plus website. All the proceeds from the sale of A Pain in the Glass, A Coach's Companion, go to the Sandra Schmerler Foundation. There are more episodes to come, including interviews with friends who have special insights, knowledge, and experiences. One of the episodes will be with Katherine Henderson, the Chief Executive Officer for Curling Canada. Grandpa T has asked me to encourage Canadian curlers who listen to the podcast to send questions for Catherine. This is your opportunity to ask the CEO. Grandpa T's email address is coachbill at hey.net. Lucas has something that he wishes to add for this episode. Lucas, what's on your mind? Um, so I'm just trying to say to all of our listeners and more directed to our younger listeners out there, no matter what somebody can say to you, you have to believe in what you do and how you do it. Earlier this year, when I was trying out for the rep team, somebody told me I should just stop. I should just quit. But what I did was I took that, what they said, and used that to fuel my energy. And I made it to the final day of trials. Unfortunately, I didn't make it. But now I have that earned experience of playing with the kids who have played with for longer. And now I can show my skills in the league that I do play. So remember, don't let anybody tell you that you should stop. Believe in what you do and never give up. Thank you for those words, Lucas. I know you and your brother Jacob both tried out for rep teams in your age group. And as you said, unfortunately, you didn't make it. But I really like the fact that you used that and were determined that nobody was going to tell you that you had to quit when you wanted to strive for something that was important to you. I'm happy to report that both of you are playing very well in your age and experience appropriate leagues. So again, Lucas, thank you. One question that has come my way through my email inbox, coachbill at hey.net, is about the position of the brush head when brushing relative to the path of the stone. We're seeing some teams position the brush head 
not at 90 degrees to the path of the stone or 45, but zero degrees. In other words, with the length of the brush, the same path as the trajectory of the stone. Anytime I get a question regarding brushing, I turn to my longtime friend, Dr. Glenn Pauley from my hometown in Kitchener-Waterloo. Interestingly enough, Dr. Glenn has written an article about this particular topic. And if you go to his website, glennpauley.ca, and there's some double letters here, Glenn is G-L-E-N-N-P-A-U-L-L-E-Y.ca, you can read the, uh, the article that he wrote. And I know some of you have mentioned how much you enjoy the podcast while you're out on your walk or your, your bicycle ride or some sort of form of exercise, or you just like to enjoy the audio version as opposed to reading. So what I'm going to do, and I, I, Glenn won't mind, I'm pretty sure, I am going to read for you Glenn's short answer. <laughs> I was kind of chuckled because with Glenn, uh, the word the word short answer, the term short answer is not what I associate with Dr. Glenn. He's really smart and thorough. But he has a short answer and a long answer. If you want the longer answer, you can go to glennpolly.ca. I will read the short answer. So here we go. Dr. Glenn Pauly's words. Recently received numerous inquiries regarding teams rotating their brush heads 90 degrees when brushing, especially when attempting to carve a stone and Dr. Glenn in brackets says accentuate the curl. As of the date of this post, March 26, 2022, I've probably been asked the question at least 20 times. So rather than continue to respond individually to each questioner, I decided to post this short article. As usual, this post is joint work with my research colleague, Dr. John Newhook of Dalhousie University in Halifax. I mentioned in a previous episode that I spent an afternoon with Dr. John an interesting afternoon. Uh, he, he's, like Dr. Glenn, they're extremely precise and thorough with what they do, and I really had to hang on virtually every word. So, here's Dr. Glenn's short answer. The question isn't, really, whether or not using a brush head turned in 90 degrees works. Applying brushing forces and hence thermal energy, to the ice on one side of a stone over the other is going to have an effect on a stone's trajectory. The actual question to be answered is under what conditions is brushing using a brush head turned 90 degrees going to be more impactful, or more effective if you like, than the other techniques that are already known to impact the trajectory of a curling stone. The short answer to this latter question is simply, that at the moment, we don't know. We are not aware of any published studies that attempt to quantify a difference in the effect of brushing with a brush head in its usual orientation versus one turned at 90 degrees. Nor have we had an opportunity to undertake our own testing, given the pandemic and a number of other constraints to our research that have arisen over the past two years. It appears that this technique came from Scotland, started with Team Mode and subsequently adopted by Team Muirhead, 
relatively recently, perhaps within the last two years. Now, Dr. Glenn has an aside here, so this is the aside. We believe there is a significant amount of confirmation bias amongst curling teams when it comes to brushing, because we believe very few teams undertake enough systematic experiments or investigations may be a better term, as it sounds like a more accessible thing to do, to determine if a change in tactics actually makes a difference. We believe that there is a great deal of simply adopting what other teams are doing. One example of that is very slow brushing from the side of the stone in an attempt to carve draw weight shots, which we believe is not as effective as brushing at normal speed, although once again, we are unaware of studies of that specific technique. In the studies that I have personally participated in, we can experimentally measure and video about eight shots per hour, since we have to account for a variety of variables, including the pebble wear on the sheet. Perhaps someone faster than I could double that to 15 shots per hour, and I've had up to four assistants helping. That would mean delivering, video, measuring, and recording line to markers in the ice in four minutes for every shot on average. I'm aware of published studies in curling that provide results for over 200 shots, so you can see what I mean about the amount of effort involved. Well-planned, controlled investigations with enough trials to demonstrate that the effect is repeatable, attributable to the brushing technique, and not a number of other factors that influence the stone's trajectory is required in order to develop enough evidence over a group of subjects to have confidence in the result. And that's the end of Dr. Glenn's aside. So he continues on with his short answer. Brushing effectiveness depends on a large number of variables, including ice conditions, condition of the stone's running surface, stone rotation, stone velocity, the delivery tendencies of the athletes, the placement of the brushes in relation to the stone, the brushing angle of attack, the force profiles of the athletes, and whether one brusher is used or two. This is why we continue to stress that teams should experiment in practice and determine what techniques work for them with the athletes that they have and develop a brushing strategy based on their abilities. At the end of the day, a team's brushing effectiveness will be more dependent on their athleticism and ability to generate vertical force than on the location and orientation of the brush head. So that's Dr. Glenn's short answer. If you want to read the longer answer, and it's, it's not too much longer, but it does have some diagrams, and best if you go to glennpauly.ca to get that. So I just want to emphasize a few things that Dr. Glenn has said, and well, I could, if I could stand up and shout an amen when he says that teams need to do their own experimenting. And when he goes on to say that too many teams just simply adopt what they see other teams doing, I'm sorry, that's just not good enough. You need to decide and work on a system that works for you. And it would be nice if you had some sports science to back it up, listening to people like Dr. John and Dr. Glenn. But I'll go one step further. I always say, but before you start working on a brushing system, you have to have at least some theory 
You may not be right, but have at least a theory on why a curling rock curls. If you don't have the foggiest idea of why a curling rock curls, then how can you possibly put any kind of brushing system together to either reduce the curl or accentuate the curl? So those are the two ideas that I would like to add to what Dr. Glenn has said. Before I leave you today with episode number 50, and I want to thank my grandsons, Jacob and Lucas, for participating once again. They seem to be uh, under the impression they're under contract to participate in the podcast every 25 episodes. Uh, On their invoice, they said something about payment being pizzas uh, made by Grandpa T. Well, I think I can pay up. But I do really want to re-emphasize the uh, invitation that uh, one of the boys uh, uh, mentioned about sending me a question that you would like me to pose to Catherine Henderson, the CEO of Curling Canada. We're very lucky. She's an extremely busy person, as you might appreciate. And so for her to take the time to Zoom with me and answer questions, I really want those questions not just to come from me, but to come from as many of you as like to send one to me. And, you know, ad nauseum I have mentioned, my email address is coachbill at hey.net. So if you would like to ask a question of the CEO of Curling Canada, send your question to me, and she will answer it on an upcoming episode. I'll make the deadline for sending questions to me the end of the month, November 30th. And so if you'd like to get your question in, please do it before the end of the month. Well, as I say, thank you very much for joining Lucas and Jacob and I for episode number 50. The next episode is going to be an interview that I conducted with an American curler from Rice Lake, Wisconsin, Karen Dundor. And I've asked Karen to explain to us what's happening with USA Curling. I'm sure, like me, you have seen some of the articles, perhaps on Facebook or from other news sources, that there has been some turmoil with USA Curling. I have a definite kinship with Uh, USA Curling, American Curlers, and I'll explain that uh, when I introduce Karen at the episode. So those of you who are listening in the United States, if you are a a curler from a curling facility in the USA, I hope you will join us next episode when you hear from one of the the people that cares very much about curling in general, but about curling in the United States, and Karen expresses herself very well. I was all set with my usual sign-off, but I received an email from Emily Riley. And those of you who follow our uh, podcast, Emily Riley, and one of the boys mentioned uh, one of the most popular episodes was one that Emily did, and it was entitled, Emily Has Something to Tell You. Well, not only does Emily have something to tell you, she would like to uh, answer any questions that you might have. She has just recently 
won a national championship. She was the second on Team Quebec, who on uh, just this past uh, Saturday, I believe it was, in Prince Albert, Saskatchewan, won the Canadian Mixed Curling Championship, along with Laurie uh, Saint-Georges and uh, Felix Asselin and Emile Asselin. And the coach of that team is Coach Mitch, Michel Saint-Georges. And you can go to episode 13 to hear Coach Mitch. And the topic is Coach Mitch's Top 10 List. So we want to wish Team Quebec, now Team Canada, all the best as they prepare to get ready to wear the maple leaf at the World Mixed Curling Championships. So I'm very excited to invite coaches of junior teams and junior athletes to send questions that you would like me to ask of Emily. If you are a coach of a junior team or a junior athlete, I urge you, if you have not heard Emily speak, to go to episode number 12 in a Pain in the Glass podcast. Her episode is entitled, Emily Has Something She Wants to Tell You. And what she has to tell you really resonates with curlers of that age group. So we have two invitations, uh, questions that I would like to pose on your behalf to Catherine Henderson, the CEO of Curling Canada, and questions directed to Emily Riley. So hopefully I get a lot of email with questions from listeners, some for Catherine Henderson and some for Emily Riley. So, exciting times ahead. So, until next time, everyone, good curling, and of course, think only those happy thoughts.